Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. The energy of anger is fire. Too much of that will burn out your system. It will burn your relationships. But just enough for the right reason in the right direction looks like justice. It looks like policy change. It looks like clear decision-making. I've been fighting with one arm tied behind my back. But what happens when I'm finally set free? What we do in life echoes in eternity. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard makes it great. Only love can truly save the world. This is my mission now forever. Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Better with Dr. Stephanie. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. Today, I had the pleasure of talking to Danielle Laporte, a self-reported lazy vegan, opinionated introvert, pure centralist. You know, she describes herself as a terrible manager, but a good leader, music being her savior more than once, the louder, the better. She is an uh, best known for uh, being an author, an inspirational speaker, entrepreneur, a blogger. She is the author of The Desire Map, The Guide to Creating Goals with Soul. She is also the author of White Hot Truth. She is Oprah Winfrey's, one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100 Leaders, uh, a group in Oprah's words that is uniquely connecting the world together with spiritual energy that matters. We had such an awesome conversation. We talked about her journey to where she started, not going to college, through to her time at a think tank in DC, in Washington, and being fired from her job and what that meant for her. So we talked about anger, we talked about grieving, we talked about forgiveness, we talked about being grateful for the betrayal. We went on to discuss the desire map, which we talked about, I was saying to her, I thought it was just revolutionary that, you know, you have this template or this system to follow to create a business plan for how you feel, which is just incredible. And then we moved into talking about the divine feminine, feminine energy, what it means in the context of leadership, what it means in the context of success. And then we dove into probably one of her favorite words, love. Uh, she has a podcast with love, Danielle. And we talked about what love means for her as a central through line for her in her life. We talked about love in the context of self-love and self-care. We talked about the idea of love in the context of mothering, both mothering uh, yourself and our actual children. And we talked about uh, her personal relationship and what her ideal partner looks like, uh, love through work and love the podcast. I had such a soulful conversation with her. She is a modern day priestess in my opinion and has a lot of important opinions to say and give and help this world heal and become a better place. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Danielle Laporte. 
I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle muscle building, recovery and health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk, and my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apres-ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate melody you love the best. All right. So today I am joined with the one, the only Danielle Laporte. Welcome to the show, Danielle. Hi. Hi, everybody. So I am really excited to have you on here. I feel like you are one of the best kind of girlfriends to have because you, you know, help people, you know, you speak to people in a very non-pretentious way. You help people expand their emotional containers and their EQs, but then you mm-hmm. also, you know, you just you you do it in a non-preachy, non-judgmental way. So um, I want. I don't know if you know this, but I was introduced to you about five or six years ago, before I knew uh, Giovanni, who uh, we were just talking to in the pre-chat. My partner, uh, one of my patients, had gifted me with uh, one of your truth bomb uh, decks mm-hmm. uh, for the holidays. And when and I was flipping through it over the holidays, like over the you know Christmas season or what have you, and 
when we came back in the new year, I had loved, I had fallen in love with them so much. I started placing the cards. So when someone comes in for, you know, a chiropractic adjustment in my clinic, they would lie down face first, you know, sort of unwind before they were adjusted. And I would put one truth bomb. I change it up every day, but I put one truth bomb at the headpiece. So as they were going down, they had to pick it up and read it before they could lie down. And, um, it was so great because it started to unintentionally, it started to open up a door for a conversation around emotional health and well-being. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, go to a chiropractor for many different reasons. A lot of people will think, you know, back pain, physical pain, they'll come to a chiropractor. But we started to have these really awesome conversations about how the emotional underpinnings in your nervous system can really fore, foreshadow and affect our physical or physicality. So, I just wanted to thank you and share that story with you because in that, in that simple, like someone gifted me the deck and in that knowing that there was going to be these conversations that I was going to have with these patients, it also forced me to up level and grow to be able to hold the space for them and to have these appropriate conversations. So I just wanted to thank you for that. Mm -hmm. That's a great story. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's start off. Let's start at the start. I think that when we look at your legacy and where you have, how you have come along in your journey, there's been lots of wins along the way. There's been lots of learning opportunities as well. So I think this will be really useful for the listener in, you know, if you haven't been, if you've been living under a rock, you don't know who she is, then this will be a good introduction. But I think it's for those of us that do know and love you, I think also understanding your humanness is useful as well. So can we start off with maybe somewhere around the time where you're in school and you say, you know what, maybe this institution or this system is not for me? Mm. It depends what level of school. <laughs> like I never went to university or college, right? Right. So I was really, I got pretty clear. I, I, actually, you know what? I don't know if I was clear. I just knew at that time, university wasn't going to be the thing for me. And I didn't know what was going to come of it. I don't think I consciously said to myself, I'm not going to, to do higher education. What was happening for me was I was on track to go into fashion design and in Toronto, actually at Ryerson. Mm-hmm. And so in order to get in, I was doing pattern making and I was sewing and I was designing. And every time I would sit down to sew, I would get the most excruciating headaches. And I walked out of my bedroom once. I was living with my mom after high school. I'd moved to the West Coast. And I walked out of my bedroom and just said, I'm, I'm done. Like, I really, I knew at that age to pay attention to what my body was telling me. And it was like a really clear no. And then I just had to pay the rent. And so it was one job to the next job to the next job. And it was just, it was really this beautiful lily pad of like, ah, oh, you know, my first real job my last re- real job actually was at the Body Shop Canada. And I, I talked my way into everything. So everything I've accomplished, all steps were fueled by obsession. Just like I would just become so interested and fascinated. And I picked up the phone and I went to the conferences and I took the workshops and I read all the books and I was able to just like talk my way. So, you know, that led me to, there are lots of steps in between, but that led me to, you know, jump cut. I'm standing in Washington, D.C. I'm executive director of a think tank on future studies. And the nature, the culture of D.C. is that every week two things are guaranteed to happen. You're going to sign a non-disclosure agreement. It's ridiculous. And um, someone's going to ask you what your alma mater is. 
I did not even know what the term alma mater was. <laughs> I had to look it up. I was like, oh, they want to know where I went to school. And I decided to, well, I just most of the time tell the truth. And I just like, well, you know, I, did, I didn't go to school. And then I, the response was always this kind of surprise and intrigue. And I really use that to my advantage because people basically thought, if you're running a think tank and you didn't go to school, so you got something going on for How you. How special are you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a great, that was a great confirmation that like even in, even being just, just be the, if you're the outlier, just be the outlier, declare it. Yeah. Be the outsider if that's what you are. Mm-hmm. And did you, was there ever any uh, imposter syndrome or feeling oh. like you could never, never good enough, smart enough, any, any of that stuff? Yeah. I ate imposter syndrome for breakfast for sure. I mean, I had like this really severe bob haircut. I was wearing loafers. I wore black suits. I was going in every day to talk about weapons of mass destruction and water wars and AIDS in Africa, the proliferation of that. And I would go home at night. I'd smoke some Marlboros and I'd read Rolling Stone magazine and roomy poetry. And I felt like a big fake. And I actually, what was becoming clear for me, I mean, this is like hyper philosophical, but I was not that interested in the future. I was running a think tank on future studies. We're looking at how trends were going to collide and converge. I was really interested in the now, but I didn't know that that's what was unfolding. Like I wanted to pray. I want to learn more about meditation. I wanted to go, I wanted to study the, uh, study art. So I big time grappled with that big time. And the day I quit, so good. The day I quit, <laughs> I mean, it was, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't celebratory at first. Our funding had run out. The dot-com boom had bombed. We had to let go of 21 people in a day. There were tears and we were a tight family. It was awful. And you know, more context hadn't been to school. I'm a Canadian female in Washington, DC. I mean, that's some trippy contrast, you know, with first level security clearance at the Pentagon. And the week I quit, dyed my hair red, pierced my nose, went and got a tattoo. I was just like, I'm done with this. Right. Didn't know what that meant, but I couldn't cram myself into those suits anymore. Yeah. And I hightailed it out of DC. And what happened after that? So you rebelled and you're like, this system is not, is not for me. And then what, where did you go on? Well, and I was really grappling with, I mean, this is like Buckminster Fuller stuff in terms of social change. I was really putting faith in the, the idea that if you want to change the system, you have to get out of the system, drop out of the game and start a new game, find another game. And I was like, yeah. I'm going to drop out of this game. I'm going to do my own thing. And I came back to Canada. I started a lifestyle consultancy with a friend and we developed this, this methodology where we kind of, it was like soulful branding and you, and the idea was you're going to make all of the decisions in your life based on that. And then we wrote a book on that and then Oprah called. And then, cause I'm really, you know, I got the gene for the hustle. I called everybody in town. Once Oprah called, I called everybody and said, I want to scale. I don't want to be just a hourly consultant for the rest of my life. Right. 
can be a lifestyle thing. This can be something, you know, and everybody was, this was like the heyday of like pay-per-click and that. And Oprah just called us, give us some money. And so a bunch of guys gave us money. And they said, if you hire this tech guy to run the show, be CEO, well, you know, money's in your account today. And so I did that. I think anybody would have done that. The reason I say that, because there's been a lot of self-criticism that, you know, I did that because that was the beginning of a fucking nightmare. And I got Steve jobbed, myself and my business partner. So this is a female-led, female-centric content company being run by dudes. It's an important part of the story. Yeah. The energies are different. The energies yeah. are different. Yeah. And I, I love doing business with men. I mean, really, I don't... Oh my God, the masculine direction in business, love, love, love it. But in that situation, toxic on both sides, unhealed, unwell. And the company was essentially taken from us. There was a coup. There was lots of betrayal and brokenheartedness. And I left, this is going to so date this, I left with my Blackberry <laughs> and my office you chair. had a keyboard on your phone what are you talking about yeah <laughs> it's, not, it's a keyboard I was going to transfer everything like a good idea at the time and that was my that was such that was great liberation and somebody said to me a wise friend during that I mean you can imagine I mean just imagine being fired from your own company driving home with nothing and realizing I co-signed all these loans and I was in so much, I owed the company so much money. That company, by the way, went belly up in three months because you can't, I mean, that's just karma. And somebody said, I'm sure so many of us have been in similar situations where a wise person in our life said, you're going to be grateful for this. I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> but I could, I got a whiff of it. And yeah, it's one of the best things that ever happened because then I became myself. When the, when the coup was going down, when you were getting Steve job, was there ever any feeling of rage or anger or any? Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, part of my therapeutic focus for a couple years after that was dealing with the rage. Mm -hmm. And what I did was I was in, I was in rage I moved into survival, had to hit the ground running, needed to make some money, needed to pay off like 150 grand of debt. That was, that was like millions for me because I had nothing. I had nothing. I had credit card debt. So rage moved into survival slash denial. Mm -hmm. And I just rebuilt and reinvented and started a whole new thing. And then almost a year to the day, the grief hit me. And this is the nature of grief. You know, I, I think you know about this is it comes on its own time when you least expect it. You can be in joy and this wave of grief. You can be on top of it and 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 it was really sad. I mean, I lost a beloved uh, sister during that. We're now back together and it's been amazing after 10 years to forgive each other. And mm -hmm. it's, incredible. it's miraculous. Forgiveness happens for everybody listening. Forgiveness is the best thing ever. So sweet. Yeah. I ask about anger and then I'm so glad that you brought up grief because I think that so many people, at least in the personal development space, I think that there's like this unicorns and sparkles and namaste and everyone's happy. But I think anger in and of itself can be a really powerful 
motivator, right? And of course, if it's the only motivator, you know, we have some issues around that becoming toxic. But I think that anger has this a certain energetic charge to it and a resonance that I think can be very productive. So in your case, and I know your story a little bit, like you were angry and rageful and then you're like, you know what, I'm going to hit the ground running as you've said, and I'm going to start this new thing. So I think that anger can be, and I think just as a comment in general, and says, I think that we are so scared of anger and rage and sadness mm-hmm. and, you know, disappointment that we don't know what to do with it. So I, I really just want to blow the top off of this a little bit and just be able to talk about, yeah, I was angry. I was hurt. And I, and the grieving uh, that you're describing, I think is important as well, because I don't think people really understand, you know, what does grief look like? How does that contrast with depression? You know, can you maybe speak to a little, you know, what, what are some of the things maybe that you learned about yourself from this entire experience, but from the grief, from the rage and the anger and how you worked through it? Mm -hmm. I refuse to be depressed but I am open to sadness mm-hmm. and I am really okay with anger. I experience way less anger and rage in my life than I used to because I'm, I'm more spacious inside. Like I can let things come through and I can process things more quickly and I can have compassion for myself and have compassion for the other person. I'm not as attached. However, there are lots of things to currently be angry and enraged about Yes. And, and that is, that's fire. Now too much, I mean, you said yourself too much anger becomes toxic. It's like the energy of anger is fire. Too much of that will burn out your system. It will burn your relationships, but just enough for the right reason in the right direction looks like justice. It looks like policy change. It looks like clear decision-making. Now there's that line where, Anger where, you know, you're just having clear consciousness around what is right and what is wrong. And the result is some anger. Then if that goes unchecked, if that kind of anger is on an unconscious ground, then we move into blind rage, which is just a really dangerous form of being unconscious. And grief is part of being human. My, my experience has been just flow with it. If we can take our fear out of grief, the grief, it just, it comes through. It might take you out for an afternoon. And it just puts you more in touch with like what matters to you and how much you loved what was there. And now what you want to fill into that space or just leave that space empty. But when we resist grief, and judge ourselves for being in the grief. I'm a loser. I'm not awake enough. I don't have the personal development skills, whatever it is. It's just, she's just going to keep coming. Right. And she'll start coming with more intensity until you and grief will get together and create a situation in your life to make sure you stop and you feel that. And that will be more painful because you might not be able to get out of bed. And you, Who wants to have to quit their job because of grief? And then there's going to be conversations around meds. We shouldn't be medicating ourselves because we're feeling human things. I'm not against medication. Let's be really clear about that. But come now. Sorrow is part of the human repertoire. And it expands us. If you focus on the fact that everything is expansion, even the sorrow is, it's not, it's, it's more, well, there's a sweetness to it, you know? 
And I think it's also, to your point, I think it's healing in a way, because when you allow yourself to grieve, you can move towards letting go and forgiving. I mean, it sounds like you've, re, you know, you've reunited with this partner and, you, and you know, now things are great. And maybe it took you, you know, 10 years or however long it takes. But mm-hmm. forgiveness is the, in my, in my very humble opinion, is the ultimate goal because it just it allows for that clearance and like it creates that space as you were, uh, as you were describing. Can you um, maybe touch on, because I know you're very gifted with word, what forgiveness feels like? Do you have a sense of, and I'll give you some context around why I'm asking this. I, you know, we've all had things that we've done that are not great and, you know, people who have done things to us that are not great. And I think personally, I can understand when I'm trying to forgive someone, there is a cerebral understanding of why they behaved in the way that, so, you know, I understand the situation at the time, the tools that they had, the belief structure. So I can understand the downstream. I can understand the behavior. I think that there's this oscillation and we were talking a little bit about this in the pre-chat, like how, when I closed my clinic, how I was oscillating. You know, when you, when you can understand the why behind someone's behavior, and that maybe takes away some of that energetic like charge to it, but then you sort of oscillate to this little girl or this like little inner wounded little child. And it's like, but they hurt me, you know? So I personally don't know what forgiveness feels like. I can, I can cerebrally understand it, but it hasn't like sunk down into my, my somatic system yet. So I wanted to well, this is a great point about the inner child, which I'm like so into in the last couple of years. And I end up talking about it all the time. I mean, you talk about the weather and somehow it's going to get back to your deep sensitivity, <laughs> yeah. also known as your inner child. Yes. And yes. I don't think it's your inner child's job to forgive that person or to analyze that person. Mm-hmm. I think it's your job. It's my job as the parent of my deep sensitivity as the queen of my own mandala, as the self agent, as an evolving person, I can, I can see with compassion on that person. I can put all the things together. I can see my role in it. I can even conceptually get down with all the merits of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And then if I, the forgiveness, the feeling of forgiveness starts to come in when, you can just tend to that deeply sensitive part of you. Oh, you were hurt. I can so, like this is just, you're pouring on the self-compassion. I could see why you were hurt. I could see why you wouldn't want to come out again. I could see why you're angry. Of course, of course, you're so sweet. And that person got it so wrong. Let's, I'm going to take care of you now. I'm going to make sure you get enough rest. I'm going to say encouraging declarations to you every day. I'm going to make sure you eat well. And I'm going to make sure you hang out with people who are encouraging and supportive for a while. And if you don't want to get back on stage or back in that business relationship, or you don't even want to talk to that person, you don't want to go near that person, I'm going to make that happen. And then you set up all the clear boundaries to take care of that deep sensitivity. And then in real time, in grown up time, you've taken care of yourself. It's so much, you, you bandaged the wound, you, you came up with your own medicine who, you will care so much less about what that other person is up to, why they did what they did. It's just like, peace out. I got the lesson. I recovered. You're off the hook. And I'm off the hook for my role in it. Right. Yeah. That's a beautiful way to put it. I love that, that you are more 
you know, that you're almost mothering yourself and saying like, I got you, like, no matter what, we're in this together. And I'm going to make sure that I, that you're safe and you're protected. Yeah. And forgiveness, my experience of a feeling is it's a profound relief. Mm. It's a homecoming. When I've forgiven people, I'm just like, oh, I'm so back to myself. There I am. There I am. I'm loving. I'm game. And I feel like it's what God wants. Like I'm on team God when I can get into that forgiving place. I think, you know, it's like much more esoteric conversation, but like, I think in God consciousness, forgiveness isn't even necessary. It's beyond that. I mean, everything is impeccable, you know, it's guiltless, but in two dimensional reality, there's a lot of missing the mark. Yeah. So we get Steve jobbed, we leave and we start traveling around the country can you explain what happened from, you know, I know this is how Firestarter, uh, your Firestarter session started. So what, let's talk about a little bit about what happened there. Well, I had to make money and uh, I didn't know exactly what I could do, but I thought generally speaking, I can help women. So actually this is quite specific. I can help women start online businesses and brand themselves. So I called a couple friends and said, I'm just going to do these sessions. I think I can just jam with people for an hour. What should I charge? And I had like 60 subscribers on my email list. Most of them were friends. Love it. And that started, I think I was charging $300 an hour. And by the end of the year, supply and demand and proof of concept value, I was $1,000 an hour and I had a six-month waiting list. And I quit, quit that because I got tired of telling people I, I couldn't talk about how to grow your Twitter following anymore. It wasn't meaningful for me. I could see two kinds of paradigms in people. There were people who lived in possibility thinking and people who were more attached to fear. And I just getting frustrated with, I just, I, I just, well, my heart wasn't in it anymore. I just needed a break from that modality. And at the same time, this added to needing a break. I would go where anybody would have me. Who can get 20 women and some dudes in their living room for four hours? I'm going to review their business in advance. I'm going to come with ideas for how to develop their business. I'll give you all I got in four hours. It's a hundred bucks a person. I'll pay my own airfare and get my own hotel. I'd come home with like a thousand bucks. I would, only, I would go in and go out. I had a baby. I was still nursing. And I came home. At, I did 16 cities in a year. And at the end of that, I was for ride and full of love for humans. And I had a book. So I created something called the Firestarter Sessions. And I got a book deal. And now the Firestarter Sessions is part of a curriculum for coaches and facilitators. Yeah. So the pattern you were saying that you, you notice this pattern of like passability and fear, what were, can you expand on that a little bit? What was the common, what was the pattern recognition there? It always came up at the end of a session. So we just been so, so I never approached my consulting, my strategy sessions as coaching because I wasn't a trained certified coach mm-hmm. and I wasn't, it wasn't my way of being. I wasn't interested in helping people reveal the answers for themselves because what I wanted most 
when I was like in a heavy development phase or stuck, I just wanted a wise, informed person to tell me what the fuck to do. The framework. Give yeah. me the framework. And, yeah. so, and, and I learned early on to say to people who you know I was looking to advice for, I just say, look, if you were me, what would you do? And I would see the answer would change because they could say, well, could do this. You might, I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all responsible, low risk advice. But if you were me, what would you do? And I, you know, and I'd say, look, I'm responsible enough. I might not take your advice. Just give it to me straight. So that's how I was with people. I just like, I'm going to give it to you straight. Mm -hmm. Please use your common sense. Run this through your own filter. It's got to feel right for you. Your own, you are your own guru. Do this. So my sessions were just like, build this. This is what your nav bar looks like. This is what I see from your brand. This is how I would package this. This is what your opportunity is. Stop doing two thirds of what's on your plate and stop caring what anybody else thinks and do it for love and build some charity into your bottom line and et cetera. What was the question? I'm so wrapped up in what we're talking about. Uh, what was the, what was the, oh, the, pattern. Uh, the pattern? Yeah. So you said there's like passability and fear mindset. What were, right. what were those things that you were teasing out? In the phone call at the end of the session. So we spent 90 minutes together. I've often, I had spent time in advance studying what they had online and reading their stuff. And in that last 15 minutes, it would always come up and someone would say, I'd be, I'd review, okay, we all down with the plan? We're the first five things you're going to do. And there it was. Possibility people would say, I get it. I see it. I want it. I'm going to do this, this, and this. There might be a pause and they might say, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it. People who were comforted in fear. And I have compassion. There's zero judgment. People who were still running some fear would say, but that was it. That was the one word. But should I? I don't think, but I tried that before. But if that doesn't work, and it was just like, and I I just, after doing hundreds of those, and also being burned out from being on the road and being a new mom and everything, I'd just be like, I was getting, I could feel myself slipping into this kind of tough love persona. I'm just like, well, do you want it or not? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's exactly what somebody needs. You have to really be attuning with someone. And a certain personality will go, yeah, 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 thanks, great. I want it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to make a phone call when I get off with you. And other people, that's the wrong, don't know. They just need compassion and space and a little bit of sugar. But I, I, I was, it was time for me to go deeper into my own creativity. Yeah. So from there, uh, you went to the desire map? Or yes. What was, the, what was the jump from fire starter sessions to desire map? So the desire map seed was planted in the book, the fire starter sessions. And I said to my publisher, chapter four in the fire starter sessions is the next book. Get ready. Cause this is really going to be the thing. And uh, where was I at that point? So on fire starter sessions, I was writing that in the middle of, of my husband and I were splitting up. We took some time off. We got re <laughs> we got back together. And then when I was finishing desire map, we were really done. So divorce. So, so it was just like, there was a, 
for anybody who's like, there's so much going on in my life. There's hardship happening. I don't know how I'm going to create. I can tell you it's possible and let your creativity carry you through those rough times and you can deal with stuff after, which is what I did in both cases. So um, desire map was something I wanted to get it out quickly. I didn't want to wait for an 18 month publishing cycle. I wanted to own the copyright and be able to build it out in any way I wanted. And I wanted to get the money in the door. I needed the money. I was going out on my own. I needed a down payment or rent or something. I could also see that there was a craving for it. I mean, one thing I always say is gratitude, the gratitude that people are expressing to you, like your genius is showing up in that. So people were grateful for this little chapter in my last book. And I was like, this is going to be something. So it came out on its own and, you know, we did our thing and sold copies and grew it and turned into a day planner system. And then I got a publisher working with Sounds True to take that on. And just, you know, fast forward to, I did lots of things in between. Like once Desire Map came out, I went off and I did another book and I went off and did this. And, and now I'm just so much more into elegance and simplicity in my life. And Desire Map took on this, its own life. And I've remarried Desire Map. So now I have like 700 facilitators in 15 countries who are teaching Desire Map workshops every weekend. What? We're working on getting the coaching component, tightening the formula on it, attaching a certification program with International Coaches Federation. And now all this data is out that's become popularized about energy from the heart versus energy from the brain, electromagnetic frequency. It's actually the heart that's calling the shots and dictating the brain, not the other way around. I've been saying this for years. Now there's science to back it up. So I'm going to do a whole new desire map book. That's going to be science complimentary, let's say. And yeah, we're still going for it. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount, that is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. I love Desire Map because, you know, when it first came out, it was the first Anytime like you write, you know, if you write a business plan or you want to start a business, like you think about all the metrics, like I want to have this amount of revenue and this is a team and this is how we're going to scale, this kind of leverage. You never think about how you want to feel, (laughs) like, you know, to write a business plan or to, you know, just to create anything in your life, you know, however, you know, in all the categories, it could be business, spiritual, financial, you know, it was the first time that I was like, oh. Oh yeah, I get to think about how I 
feel how I want to feel, which I love. And I think that it's also in, in a way, I think it's, it's, you've probably put this together, but I think it's a beautiful compliment to, or it's almost the antagonist to your time in Washington where you were in this like, you know, NDA every week and this crap that you felt really, it was a system that you were in, but you were, you know, very confined by it. And here you are, you know, the antithesis of that is creating a map for create, you know, for creating things based on how you want to feel. Like it was, it's just this beautiful yin and yang thing that, which you yeah. probably put together, but uh, I, I was like, oh, well, that just makes a lot of sense when we're, when we're looking at your story. Yeah. Let's shift gears a little bit. I want to, um, sort of in the same vein, I, I want to talk about the divine feminine. I want to talk about feminine energy and how that weaves in or how that laces into your idea of leadership. I think, uh, and I'll um, preface this by saying, you are one of the few people that I know that you are so feminine, but you are so masculine at the same time. You have found a way to, to really marry the two together. And I think many female entrepreneurs, uh, if not most of us, we have overtapped into our masculine because of whether it's through observation or coercion, you know, like we're just told that, you know, this feminine, like being, it's dramatic and it's passive aggressive and it's resentful and it's this and that. So don't be too emotional. Don't be too, right. Don't be too emotional. Um, So I would love to hear what your definition of leadership is. And then maybe we can piggyback that on what your advice would be to women. And by women, I mean myself (laughs) who are aware (laughs) that we've overtapped into, we are, we are aware of the dissonance. We're aware that the, you know, the masculine has sort of been overplayed and are trying to figure out where the feelings fit in, where the pleasure fits in, where the desire fits in. Mm -hmm. My definition of leadership is the courage to hold the vision up and invite people to that vision. And that courage comes from introspection and and being able to be still. And stillness takes courage. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, a good leader is really self-aware. So they have a clear vision. And it's not about being liked. And of course you wanna be loved and you wanna create harmony on your team, but that's not like the driving thing. Because there's going to be, sometimes there's going to be lack of trust. Like, that's too big and that's too weird. And we tried that and that didn't work. And you're just like, this may not work. You know, know, like here's real leadership for me. This is where we're going. I'm not even sure how we're going to get there. And this might not work. But here's the vision. (laughs) Like, it's just, sometimes it doesn't even have legs. But you say, I feel this is the direction. And then you unpack and say, okay, this is how we get there in a way that's attuned with our ethics and our morality and why we're here. How I operate with my business is I feel like my responsibility is, first of all, to myself and my wellness and God. I'm here to evolve myself and make a contribution that way. And I'm going to take care of my friends and family. Then my next responsibility, I see it in concentric circles, is my team and their wellness and their their emotional health and their physical health and their financial health. If I'm not taking care of the people who give me 40 hours a week and helping them have a good life, 
mean, my, one of my, my, my key person has been with me. I mean, we're going to we're approaching a decade. If I'm not caring for them pervasively and deeply, I'm a hypocrite. So they're my priority. Um, and sometimes you do carry people. This is one thing I want to say that, you know, this is a, I think a, a perception we got from, I think it's a little patriarchal in terms of mindset where, you know, I used to play this way that the C players will agitate, irritate the A players. Of course they will. Of course, you know, a dynamic whole person wants to just run, but we're human. And you know what? Someday that A player is going to have a C quarter because their person's going to break up with them or they're going to have a health problem and you're going to carry them. And I've carried C players. There's been a time where it's like, we're going to let this person go. It's not quite wearing. It's like, but I love this person. This person's a good person. Let's just hang in there with this. I know it's costing us money. Let's just hang in there. Something's not right. It's not quite right. And you know what? I think they'd be so profoundly devastated if we let them go right now. I don't want to live with that karma. So my way of serving is we're going to hold on. That C person could turn into A plus, could end up being one of the most valuable people on your player, on your team. And it doesn't mean you're bleeding hard for everybody, but God, the bottom line is not the only reason to be in business. And then outside of that circle, so you notice I haven't even mentioned customer or audience yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> then it's then it's our audience. Mm-hmm. And our audience are people who resonate with how we show up in the world. I'm not trying to convert anybody. If you don't want to live a life of service, if you don't think there's some higher order to this, I might not have that much to offer to you. I'm not interested in convincing you of anything. I'm really actually interested in teaching teachers and singing to and with the choir. I think that's how you build strength because they go out and they go to their choir. It's this, becomes this, it's this beautiful ecology. And then after the so-called audience, never call them fans, never call them users, then it's the greater collective. Then it's charity and it's philanthropy and all that's baked into everything we do too late in the day to not be giving your money away and using your platform. I'm so done with curated Instagram feeds. The world's on fire. Can you please mention it? Oh God, I get a little bit angry. I need to think about it before I speak, but really you want to be an influencer? Come on. World's on fire. Mention it. Use your influence. Enough with the clothes. Yeah. And I'm just as interested in mascara, but stop. Right. Yep. Well said. It seems like you're, you know, when we, everything, even just everything you just said, your through line is love. You know, your new podcast is with love. You know, um, you know, you send love, you feel love, you teach love, you know, how do you define love? What does that mean to you? What is, what does it embody? Your happiness is as important to me as my happiness that if you suffer, I'm going to feel that suffering. I'm going to honor your suffering. And I want you to be joyful. I want you to be whole. And I think the result of love is joy. The Um, result of love is joy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think love is our true nature. I think love is the true reality. Capital true, capital reality. 
you know, I consider myself a student of A Course in Miracles, which says, you know, anything that isn't love isn't real. You know, you really got to wrap your head around all the layers of that. But I think it's where meaning comes from. It's the thing I'm interested in. I don't always get it right. I have an ego. Sometimes I can be divisive. My arrogance has gotten in my way and divided me from things I wanted and hurt people in the past. I just, I want to love the ecosystem into restoration. I want to love people into their own empowerment. I, I just, for, for me, I just, I don't, nothing else is worthwhile. I don't get it. And not everybody's wired this way. And I'm super okay with that. You know, some people heart driven or sorry, head driven, very, you know, their life is about this intense exploration into consciousness. That's part of my journey. That's not what leads my journey. Some people head led. Cool. Well, let me refine that. Some people consciousness led. Some people can be in their heads and really highly unconscious and very disconnected from their heart. But I think the heart is the way home to God. You can sit in an ashram. You can sit for years. And this is one thing I see in the life hacking space right now is meditation being used as a life hack. Listen, I'm not criticizing anybody for taking four minutes to 40 minutes every day to scan their mind and cleanse their thoughts and just get into alignment. Super fucking cool. Do it. That is not necessarily making you a more loving, conscious person. Working on your nervous system, it's great. Do it. That will help you be a more loving person. Mm -hmm. But eventually, and this is my point, eventually, eventually, to get to your whole power, to get to God, you're going to have to go through the heart. Do you think that you have to fight for it? Well, I have had to. <laughs> you have to fight for, for your ability to love or the ability to feel joy or to yep. stay tender or to stay heart-led? Yep. Yeah, I fight less, but <sighs> vigilance is required. Vigilance, devotion, dedication. I mean, we're living in a time where it's like, it is a battle between light and dark, yeah. between love and density, mm -hmm. between order, what's right and just and moral and ethical and chaos, stuff that's just abusive and neglectful and pillaging. Like, I'm going to fight that fight. So use that fighting energy, that vigilance for the right reason. Be on the right side of, of the battle. And, you know, here's the like divine twist. When you fight for joy and you fight for love, everybody's included. When you're fighting for something else other than that, that's when we get into bigotry and racism and really poor patriarchal stuff. And, yeah, be on the side where everybody's in. You talked about taking care of yourself first, you know, your wellness uh, to be devoted to God. When we talk about this in the context of self-love, so I want to do kind of a going through love in some of the different aspects of your life. I, uh, you know, self-love, self-care. How do you, what are some signs that somebody loves themselves? Is it that they take baths with essential oils? Is that they nap regularly? Is it, what, what does it mean to you uh, for somebody to love themselves? And how can you, what is the evidence if, if there is any, if someone's like, do I, you know, how do I feel about myself or how can I cultivate more self-love or self-compassion? What would that look like? Mm -hmm. 
I think it's all those things. You take baths with essential oils. You eat when you're hungry, you sleep when you're tired. You do things that you're enthusiastic about, that you can enjoy. You say yes when you want to say yes. You say no when it's a no. You know that your word is sacred because you are, it's your word, your vow, your promise, whatever it is, you're making a lifetime vow, you tell somebody you'd be there at noon. Your word matters. Your word is gold because you're gold. You're valuable. So what you put out there is like just every promise is a little gem you're giving someone. So you make good on those promises. You have integrity because you're in integrity with yourself. You care less about what people think because it's really your approval of yourself that matters. You're in integrity with your own values. And ultimately, I mean, this is, and this has been, you know, like the most intense part of my journey last three, four years is like, you start to love your own shadow and all that stuff that is in your unconscious that you haven't dealt with your fear, your fear of your fear. I mean, I got to a place where I just realized like, wow, I'm ashamed. Not only am I scared of things that I haven't admitted to, I am ashamed of that fear. Like that's what's in the basement. So you love yourself enough to like go in the basement, bring some stuff up and say, oh, look how scared you were. Yeah. So to shine some light on all the dark stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, would you would you also say that love or self-love is learning to listen to your own intuition or learning to, you know, self this idea of self-reliance? Well, I think that's a byproduct of it. A byproduct of it. Yeah. If you're... If you're tending to yourself, if you're being compassionate and attentive and speaking kindly to yourself, you're going to expand. You're going to have, you're going to be more spacious. Your nervous system is going to be more settled and you're going to, you're going to be able to hear your intuition. So for, for me, I define intuition as I am able to hear what my higher self, what my soul is telling me, love yourself more. There's less static. There's less fuzz on the line, on the telephone mm-hmm. to your higher self. Yeah. That's amazing. I was, I, I was having a conver- similar conversation with uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, who's going to be on the Better Podcast as well. And she said something almost identical to what you just said. She said, the five most important words that a woman can ever say is, this isn't working for me. (laughs) You know, so it's, it's just factual, it's non-judgmental, but it's that attunement that you just said something where you're attuned with your soul's message or attuned with the, you know, the resonance that, you know, that your soul is, is, is giving off and you're able to acknowledge it and be tender and brave enough to act on it. Mm -hmm. And you know how we know when this isn't working for me, doesn't feel right. And we don't have to explain why something isn't working for us. So when something isn't working for me, I just say, this doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And I've had the experience where just using that phrase, stop some people in their, tra- they're just like, cause they can't argue with it. Right. Right. And it right. just doesn't feel right. I can't, ex- I can't even explain why sometimes is what you'll say. <laughs> you know, yeah. might know exactly why, but just leave it at that. You don't need to defend your heart. Yeah. 
And sometimes I don't think that there's words like, you know, sometimes this isn't working for me is the best way to to describe your soul's yearnings or desire. And there's no other words other, you know, sometimes words I feel are, you know, they're beautiful and poetic and they can be colorful and descriptive, but sometimes they fail us as well. Like I can't explain to you why, but Mm -hmm. I just know that the vibration that whatever it is that this dissonance that I'm feeling is not working. Mm-hmm. How does it how does it work for you uh, being a mother? So we've talked about mothering, you know, self mothering, you know, mothering our you know inner uh, wounded little person. How do you, how does this translate? I know you have a son. Um, I have three sons. So you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> what are what are some of the ways that love is, or what are the challenges that you have to overcome being a mother? And then how do you use love? as a, you know, as a counter tool or uh, something that, you know, helps you hijack the, whether it's messages or, you know, what, what things that you don't agree with or things that are challenging in terms of motherhood? Things that I don't agree with about what, the information my son's getting or what I don't agree with in terms of parenting? Well, actually, I like, I like both of those interpretations, but let's start off with, like, for example, sometimes my kids will come home from school and they'll say things and I'm like, no, that's not how, that, yeah. that's not how this family works. That's not, that's not what we believe. You know? So let's maybe talk about some of the aberrant messages that maybe your son is receiving. How old is he? How old is your son? 15 going on 30. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I got a 14 year old. I know where you are. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, you know, I've, I've been asked a lot of times before at gigs by mothers, should I be teaching my son everything I know about how energy works and essential oils and positive thinking? The answer is yes. Like, look at everything you went through to get to your own truth. All the workshops and all the struggles and all the enlightenment. And well, yes, you're here to like flatten their learning curve. Secondly, you got to pour something into them. Our job is to brainwash our kids. Why not yet yeah, go with what's working for you? And they're going to resist anyway, or they might not. So take the risk. I think because, I mean, my, my experience has been, I feel at my most vulnerable and my most seen with my kid. Like he can nail me like nobody else sees me, right? Mm-hmm. So I have to be really strong in my faith when I say, this is what I believe. And I know it's why it might look wacky to everybody else. So I do the same thing. My kids, been, you know, from the time when he was in daycare coming home saying, you know, so-and-so daycare instructor said, don't talk to strangers. I said, well, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if none of us talk to each other? Mm-hmm. Your body knows who to talk to and who to not talk to. You know, be as loving as you can. And it started there. And it's and and I also have to do I wish I could be more of an activist with his education than I am, but I gotta pick my battles. He's come home. I, I don't agree with the curriculum he's being taught in school. So I call the school. So what what? Why are you teaching this? This is a waste of his time, not furthering him. And so I'm back to the Buckminster Fuller theory. If you don't like the game, get out of the game. So I'm getting him out of school a year and a half sooner because it's, he's not being served. So I found a way to circumvent the system. In terms of me being a mother and the juggle of that, you know, I just don't complain about it. I don't, 
use my kid as an excuse for how much is on my plate and not complaining about it, I think helps me. I have other things I complain about. It's just not being a mother. I mean, I, I chose, we chose each other. I'm in pretty much constant state of gratitude. And I would say that's helpful to not complain. And it's hard. It's not easy. Jam with a friend and get it out of your system. But for the most part, proceed. I don't know. Does that sound discompassionate? No, I, I, I actually agree 100% with you. I think that, you know, I had a conversation with uh, Dr. Shafali, who I know, I think, you know, Dr. Shafali Sabari, and she was saying, you know, kids come fully formed, like they come hundred percent who they are. And our job as mothers is like, we are their ultimate coach. It's not our job to like make them into something that we want, but to allow the space for them to grow into the person that they already are. And I think for any, you know, you're talking about building out your coaches in the desire map. I think mothers, we are the ultimate coach. And when we think about our client, you know, the little kitty, you know, you want to try and meet them where they are and you want to try and have an understanding for what, what they're going through. Like for, I'll give you a, a really quick example. My um, son, Andreas, who's uh, turning nine in a couple of weeks, he was you know, coming home, uh, you know, some kids were calling him Nate, like he had super curly hair, so they're making fun of his hair, whatever. They're saying, oh, you're a sheep, whatever, whatever. So instead of saying to him, oh, it's okay, like that doesn't matter, you're beautiful anyway. Like I, you know, I was like, how does that make you feel? You know, it's, it, and, it's, and it's okay to feel really sad and really hurt by these kids. And maybe I am being a hard ass, but I didn't try to comfort him. I didn't give him ice cream or anything like that. But I, I think that there's a value in him feeling disappointed because he's going to feel disappointed. And if he's never felt that emotion before with me as his coach or someone who, uh, you know, his parents to help him work through it, how's he ever going to do it as an adult? So mm. yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that 100%. Yeah. Mm. I love what you're saying. And that curly hair is going to be such an asset. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny he tries to straighten that. it i'm like do you know people would die for your hair it's like the little ringlets like the little anyway but um yeah okay so uh back to love because i know that you are all about love what what does that mean i mean the obvious question here as well is in your personal life in your love relationship how would you describe and i don't know if you're dating anybody or you, you may or may not want to touch on that but if let's assume that you know you weren't what would you be looking for? Actually, I'll tell you a funny story in a second, but what would you be looking for in an ideal partner and how would you describe them? And I'll t actually, I'll tell you now. So Gio and I, I knew that we were having this conversation and I was like, who could we set up with Danielle? Who could we, who could we set up? And he had thrown out a couple of names and I was like, oh, she would eat him for lunch. Like there's no <laughs> way that would work. So, you know, I'm, you know, maybe from a philanthropic or, you know, I want to, I want to know how you describe your, your love you know, your ideal, you know, lover, partner, yeah, personal relationship. Yeah, super open to being set up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My ideal partner is kind and game, like really wants to, I want to make something with somebody. I want to make a life. It's like, I think we come together. I mean, at this stage in my life, like I've done a lot of healing, have like, have done your healing. And then like, let's build something. That's about joy. That's about 
healing our community. That's about raising our kids, taking care of every, like, let's raise some, you know, the Amazon's on fire. Can we get a couple million together from lots of people in a couple days? Like, that's what I want to do. And I want to expand my consciousness and my depth of love. So this person's got to be game for that. And, you know, super, super sexy and love driven. I also, you know, I like contrast. So, you know, I'm a feminine identified creature. So I like masculine identified creatures, like <laughs> have an opinion. Oh yeah. yeah. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing you don't want, is like a yes person. Yeah. No. Yeah. You want to be able to have like colorful discussions for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So your podcast, I love it. Thanks. Recent uh, endeavor. And I was saying before, like it's open. You are so open, so honest, so transparent. You, you know, your opinion, like your opinions are known, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but it's done in a way that's not really like, you know, preachy or it's only this way. This is the only funnel to the way to get to love, you know, to get to love. I think, um, and tell me if I'm wrong here, your through line is that there are multiple ways to get to, I mean, you talk about everything. You talk about one night stands and you talk about personal development. And, you know, I've listened to uh, almost all of them. I didn't listen to the last one, but the through line is that there's multiple ways and all of them are okay. You know, and even just in our conversation today, you've been talking about, you know, I love working with men, but these men came in and they effed up my company, you know? So there's this kind of duality that you celebrate, I think, on the podcast, which I think is really, uh, really unique. A lot of times, I think, you know, we're even just told, like, take a line in the stand, you know, the riches are in the niches and like, like, be this like, you know, super constrained, one dimensional kind of person. And I think that you're description of things, even if anybody has not listened to her podcast, it's called With Love, Danielle. And if anything, listen to the one night stand one. I mean, that's a shorter one, but that you'll really get a a, a way you, you so elegantly describe both facets to what the value is in having a one night stand. What is your intention with the podcast? Do you have, you know, is this, is this been something you've been dreaming about for a long time? Like, well, how did it come to be? And what is your intention with it? I was super resistant. It's taken two years to get back. I did one series and the, my first series, I committed to six episodes. That's all I would do in case I wanted out. I had to have a beginning and end. And um, I feel exposed and uh, too open sometimes. And, you know, sometimes I worry. Like, I just don't want to hurt anybody, you know, speaking from my ego. I don't want anybody to think I'm an asshole. Okay, so there's that. And... More than that, eclipsing all of that, I have things to say. I want to be self-expressed. I've done things and figured things, a few things out and suffered in a way that I think if I just tell you that story, human to human, I might actually be able, that's, if you so choose, that story could actually help alleviate some of your suffering. Mm-hmm. That's why I do it. Mm-hmm. And it could, so I'm here to alleviate suffering, amplify joy. And um, I think loneliness is an epidemic and that part of the medicine, I mean, obviously then (laughs) the medicine is community. So I think the more of us who show up 
doesn't matter whether you have a platform or you're sitting next to someone on the subway. And we honestly show up with our story. And that story includes your brokenness and your victory. Mm-hmm. It includes what you have not figured out yet, how you were brought to your knees, what you're afraid of. And it includes how great you are, how, art- how articulate and how powerful you are, how loving you are, and how many solutions you have in your bag at this point in life. And if we all talked about that more, instead of this brave face and holding people at a distance and trying to be a baller and trying to influence someone when it's just, we're still operating in a vacuum. I'm not saying people shouldn't show up and create a platform. I just want to speak to this influencer ideology for a second. Yeah, I feel you need to get that out. I get, I need to get it out. You need to talk about that. Yeah. Get out there, start a blog, rock your Instagram feed. But don't be someone that you're not. If you're not an expert, stop with the posing about being an expert. Why? First of all, you're actually not helping anybody out. Secondly, that falsity is going to catch up to you. You're going to, you are going to be feeling the imposter complex underneath that. And it's going to create some anxiety. Or it might, and I'm telling you, I, I know this. I know this is happening with lots of people playing at this game and and I'm using game in a positive sense. If you want to show up and you want to be seen, I get it. You're allowed to want to be seen. You're allowed to want to desire reciprocity, acknowledgement, money, to work from Bali, have the funds. All those desires are great. And just show up honestly and share where you're at in your journey now that I'm here and I want to be of influence and I'm going to show you what that desire looks like. I'm here and all I want to do right now is look good. And and I think looking good might heal my inner wounds. So join me on this, but talk about more than just the surface stuff. And, and then just, you know, and this is me using my position of leadership to say, I'm asking everybody as a leader, I'm begging you. Ain't too proud to beg. Work, charity, and making the planet a better place into what you're doing. Because we're swimming in consumerism. And there's a relationship because, and I'm sure you saw this with your patients and your clientele, not only are we swimming in consumerism and overconsumption, anxiety is an epidemic. And we need to talk about it. A lot of people masking all their anxiety and that's just creating more anxiety and more medication. And you're going to be on all of that longer, anxious longer, on the meds longer. Talk about it. I, I can't even remember what the question was. Love. Neither, love. neither can I, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is really just, you know, this, this is a, a perfect uh, example of your work because you know you talk you've been talking about how you take care of yourself first and then your team you know this idea of loving yourself I've heard you talk about this on your podcast loving yourself like it's your job but at the same time being able to love and serve others to be of you you know to have this idea of being useful or you know I know you're one of your core desired or one of your you know core values is that of utility and I think that that perfect you know just that idea around being an influencer. And yes, you can celebrate your body and you can do the shots and show people the, you know, all the stuff 
as a way to take care of yourself, but also try to find a way for it to be useful to other people other than just eye candy. Yeah. Yeah. Last question. What is something that you have changed your mind about in the past few years? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Well, I did change my mind about dating. And I talk about that in the One Night Stand episode Mm -hmm. where I really was, I was really holding out because I'm so commitment oriented. Just like the next one's going to be the one. And I had, I mean, I still have exceedingly high standards, but they were like ridiculously high. And I realized that that was really for a period of time that was healthy, but I sort of was living in a fortress and I changed my mind from feeling you know, righteous and slightly unsafe to really open and, and well cared for by life. Yeah. So that I changed my mind on that. I've also over the years changed my mind on advice giving and I don't give it as much. Maybe this is why I have a podcast (laughs) because I figure if you're listening to my podcast, you're asking for my advice and I get to just like, let it roll. Um, but now mostly unless somebody asks, although sometimes I can't help myself. What I do is I'll just say, do you want my advice on that? And they'll be like, sure. And I'll be like, so, okay. I just hold space so much more for people. I think most of us just need to be witnessed and my act of love in way more occasions than I thought was just, I'm just going to witness, just go, yeah, I super see you. That must suck. That's amazing. You're incredible. That's it. Nobody needs my opinion. Well, I think if you haven't checked out her podcast, you absolutely should. Uh, We will make sure that we link it out into the show notes. As a final uh, comment, in terms of another very important way that you've influenced me is you know, aside from increasing my emotional capacity as a doctor and being able to, you know, help people, you introduced me to the perfect jumpsuit. So we were (laughs) very important note, you know, we were, we were backstage, we were at Archangel, I think it was 2016. And I said, Danielle, where is your, just tell me where your jump, you were wearing this beautiful jumpsuit and you're like, oh, just go to the so-and-so and and like the free shipping. And I I literally went that evening. I had been looking for jumpsuits for 10 years. Like I'm, you know, I'm curvy. I got a booty, I got hips, you know, and every jumpsuit I had come across until the place that you had sent me to just like wasn't, didn't have my body type in, in consideration when making it. So you are the best type of, oh yeah, I have three of them in every color. (laughs) (laughs) Black, a white and a tan one. I have all, and they are my favorite jumpsuits. They fit me perfectly. They are made for women with hips. So yeah, you're just the best kind of human available because you have, you know, you've increased my emotional capacity and my resilience and my ability to attune and to meet people where they are, but you've also, you know, helped me dress better. So I just wanted to thank you. (laughs) So thank you so much uh, for being on our show today. I am so honored to have you. You, Your body of work, you know, your journey, I think, speaks volumes, but you, the body of work that we've talked about today, the fire starter sessions, desire map, we didn't even get the, the white hot truth, but your body of work is, is impressive and what you're doing is important. And um, thank you. Mm, thank you. You're so radiant. This was so great. Thank you. And for everybody listening. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find all this information at our website, bettershow.co. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-S-H-O-W dot C-O. Maybe the simplest way to keep in touch with me is to sign up for my email. When you go to bettershow.co, there'll be a little pop-up and I send a weekly email on all things mindset, nutrition, fitness, Uh, longevity, aging, things that are capturing my attention that week in a newsletter that we call Brain Candy. You can find me on social, on Twitter, it's Dr. underscore Stephanie. On Instagram, I am Dr. Stephanie Estima. That's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-E-S-T-I-M-A. And finally, a legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice, discussions, and recommendations that we discuss on this podcast do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare professional's advice or care. There is no doctor-patient relationship that has been established in the consumption of this podcast, and the use and implementation of the information contained here are at the sole discretion of the listener. The content in this podcast is not intended to be used as a substitute for any professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment.